sermon is about this, this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis uh, chapter 1, and uh, out of reverence and, and, and need to hear from God. I think sometimes we run into uh, a, a big portion of Scripture, and we're afraid to take the time to read it, right? And so I don't want to do that this morning. I want to read you the text of Scripture so that you can see um, what God has to say, and then I want to comment on it, all right? Um, and so we're going to look at the text, um, and then I'm going to give you three true statements and then three implications, right? So here is three things that we're going to see from the text, and here are three things that are implied because these things are true, all right? And so I'm going to begin. Um, we're, going to read the, we're going to read the whole thing, all right? So pay, pay attention. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the heavens, or the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed. And fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the, life, the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let us pray. Father, we, we bow before you, recognizing that you are king. We recognize that you are um, the one who, who is most glorious and the one who is most uh, worthy to be treasured. Um, God, we recognize that we are a people whose hearts are divided. Uh, our hearts are uh, constantly tempted for things that are less than you. So God, I just ask that as your word is preached this morning, God, that you would reassert yourself on the throne of our heart. Um, may we not just be people who uh, obey with our hands and our feet, but God, who, who, who obey from the heart. And God, we love you. We ask that you would give us clarity about our time and our place as this series, Apocalypse, is designed to do. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I am thankful that every week we don't cover that big of a text, right? Um, for more reasons than one, it is hard to preach a text. Um, that has somewhere around 30 verses, right? 34 verses, uh, I believe, in all. And so uh, it, it is a challenge. And so what we're going to have to do, and like uh, what was mentioned, we, we were having these one-off classes to kind of go a little deeper. So we have to acknowledge up front, I'm not going to be able to dive into a lot of these things. And so I'm going to be able to pull three truths from what we just read um, that, are, that are very big. Two of them are, are you're, they're not going to really, they're going to be things that you've heard a lot, all right? They're not going to be things that I've got to kind of present. One of them is going to kind of take a little bit of me showing you from the Bible that this is really there, all right? Um, it may be a little new, even if you've maybe heard the language, it's going to push against you um, just a little bit. And so truth number one is that God acts to make his glory known. God acts to make his, his glory known. Um, we, we read the scripture, right? And lots of questions come up about creation, Right? How in the world, what, if God created light on day one, but he didn't create the things that produce light, like the sun, the moon, and the stars, till day four, what was the source of light in day one? Right? So when I read Genesis 1, I get a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions like that. Um, but maybe the most pressing one is, why did God create anyway? Right? So God is, we are told that God's the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They lived in perfect harmony, perfect joy. Why in the world does God create? Why does he speak? What motivates him? Was he, was he, was he, was he suffering from the case of, a case of boredom, right? Um, did he create the world just simply because he thought maybe having Adam and Eve as, as companions might be something that uh, would add a little flavor or a little substance to his life and he needed a place for them to live? Like, why did God create what he made? And we uh, look through the scriptures and it, it's, it's, it's uh, plain in the scriptures, although it's not uh, explicitly stated. We got narrative in Genesis 1. But when we look at the totality of Scripture, we see very clearly why God made the heavens and the earth. I'm going to give you just three of them, right? So I told you this is going to be something that you've probably heard a lot. God created for his glory or, or to make his, the truth about himself 
known. And so I'm just going to give you three passages. Psalms 19, 1 through 4 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun. It, it kept, I just read too far, okay? Um, but the point is this, the heavens declare, they speak, they show, they proclaim the glory of God. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so we see that God has created it, and by creation, his, the knowledge of Him, His characteristics, His attributes, um, they go on display. Right? If, I had a, if I had a giant uh, a boulder up here, we would know, we would assume it's heavy, right? We could, we could even maybe know exactly how much it weighed. I could stand up here and say, this rock weighs three tons, right? But you would not get a sense of, you would not be able to see and feel and comprehend the massiveness of the boulder until we kind of dropped it and it just busted through the stage, right? right? The action, the display of that weight becomes visible when things are moving, right? And here we see this is what's going on in creation. God, God is powerful. God has authority. Um, God is wise. God is good. Um, those things are Him. They're true about Him. They would have been true about Him for all of eternity. But because He acted, we get to see that. Right? It goes on display. It goes public. Um, his glory goes, His holiness goes public in His creation. If that wasn't enough, uh, God Himself tells us why He created the universe. Isaiah 43 Verses 6 through 7 says this, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I have formed and made. He is bringing back the intention of his creation, and that was for his glory. Um, this list could keep going. We could give you lots of examples, but we're not going to, right? We're going to move on to the next truth. The next truth um, is this. Actually, what I want to show you now is that God only created for His glory, but that everything He has ever done has the same purpose, all right? Excuse me, I, I skipped down too fast, all right? God didn't only create for His glory, but I want, to, I want to take a minute to show you that everything He has ever done is for His glory, right? Every action that God has taken, everything He is doing today, everything He's going to do tomorrow, everything He's done in the past has this one singular aim at its, at its pinnacle, at its foundation, Wherever you want to say it. And that is to glorify or to make the truth about himself known. His glory to be declared. And so I'm going to give you eight examples of God pursuing his glory through his action. All right? The first one is this, subjecting the world to pain and suffering. So in Genesis 3, we're going to see that God responds to Adam and Eve. In Romans chapter 8, he tells us what's going on there. And he says that God has subjected it to pain, to suffering. The whole world groans in the now, in the present, for the hope of glory that is to come. The second example we see is the raising and destruction of Pharaoh. Um, Exodus 9, 16, God proclaims what he's going to do. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to let my people go. And then I'm going to give plague after plague after plague. Why? So that on the other side, my glory, my power, and my might will be evident when I, when I, when I drown them in the Red Sea and deliver my people. Um, num example number three, the caring of his sheep. So Psalms 23, 3 tells us that 
You know, the, you know the Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He tells us why he takes care of his sheep. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So that his reputation, that so he is clearly perceived in the world and the people around his sheep know that he is good and that he is loving and that he is right. Example number four, the sparing of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 44. God, God is pronouncing damnation on all the nations. Israel is just as guilty. Israel is just as guilty as they are. But he says, I'm going to spare you. And here we get a glimpse into why. He says, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. The good news for Israel was God was not going to deal with them according to their deeds. He did that with Assyria, and he did it with Babylon, and he did it um, with the other nations that were around them. But Israel was going to be different. He was going to deal with them not according to their deeds, but according to his aim to display his glory in a particular way. The fifth example comes with the sending of Christ. John 17, Jesus says, I've come and I have glorified you. I have made you known. And this is eternal life, that, that they would know you, the Father, right? His prayer, glorify me again at the cross. And we see this in example number six, the election of the church, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Listen very carefully. So a lot of times we get in debates, right? In theology, we, we try to, we try to, we try to uh, have conversations about things, but it's important that we understand the, 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 chain of, the chain of logic here, right? Why is election even in your Bible? And it tells us here in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, get this, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in his blood. Why did he chose me before the foundation of the world? So that he would be praised particularly for his grace, that his grace would be known. Not only do we see it in the election of his church, we see this in the damnation of sinners, Romans 9, 22 and 23. He says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Get this, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Why, do, why, do, why, do, why does God pour out his wrath at instances in Scripture? It is so that his glory goes on display, both his wrath and justice and his mercy and grace. And then lastly, we see uh, another example, sending his spirit. John 16, he sends the spirit so that the God the Father, God the Son, would be known in intimate love with his people. I need you to understand that everything, if you want to understand what's going on today, you need to understand that God is acting and he is acting to display his glory, to display his character and display his nature. That is his purpose. Truth number two, um, God delights in his glory. God delights in his glory. We see this throughout the whole entire chapter. I hope you notice this when you're reading a long passage like that. You see the repetition and the thing that was, the thing that was rep repeated every, uh, every uh, day of the, of the creation story is that God looked at his creation and beheld that it was good. The word good there is not got a, a morality connotation. It's not that it was right versus wrong, but that it was pleasing versus displeasing. 
Right? I know the exact opposite of what God felt that day. I, I put a lot of work into um, the, the journal, the apocalypse journal. Me and Alan, Alan helped me, right? And so we got that. We worked months in, I'd say about three months, I started working on that cell book, that cell group journal, right, that you guys are reading, and we hope you pick one up. And so this whole process of working, laboring, putting it together, lots of fine little parts, and man, we've, we've worked so hard to make sure that it is perfect for print, Right? And so then I go to Bellis Printing, which is over at Bob Jones, and I get the, I get the box that has 100 of them in it, and I, I get home and I, I get it open, right? I don't carry a pocket knife, so it's my fingernail, right? Because I'm not, I'm not one of you Southerners. And so I pull, I pull the cell group journal out, and I'm ready to sit back and kind of behold my work and kind of take a minute to, to enjoy it, right? And then something gets in the way of my enjoyment, right? My wife pulled out a book. She's sitting next to me. Right? And do you know what my wife makes sure that I do not miss? Right? All the mistakes. Right? So we turn to page like three, and what we realize, and you probably realize this, is every other page in the entire journal notebook, the, the page number is not on the right side. You can't even see it. It's like down in the crevice of the thing. The title for number four, week four, has the title for week three. Right? And we could go through, just in like the first four pages, my wife had shown me that there were several mistakes there right? And so my, I looked at it, and there was, there was displeasure mingled with a little bit of pleasure, right? It's still like the cover that, uh, that uh, Robert provided for us, man, it looked good, right? It looked nice. It was nice. It was, it was a product of my work, but it was tainted. You need to understand that when, when God created, he steps back and he looks, he assesses, and he delights in his work because his work displays his glory, you see, God is not motivated out of something other than supreme love, esteem for himself. That's where his loyalty lies, is with him. God is not only working to display his glory, but he delights in his glory. He takes pleasure. He takes satisfying satisfaction because he is ultimately good. This is good news, right? Normally, you and I, like if I asserted myself, I got up here and just bragged about myself and said, you guys, I am the most awesome thing, right? And the best thing for you is to recognize that I am awesome, okay? You guys would go, You're, you, you, are, you, you, you would be turned off, right? Okay? Some of my youth that I had in, as a student pastor were like, you've said that before. No, I'm, but uh, the, the, you, you would be turned off. We, we do not like it. We find something wrong with people asserting themselves up there and saying, look at me, Right? I, I, can, I can meet your, I can satisfy, I can deliver for you, I, I am good. But that's exactly what God is doing, and the difference between him doing it and you and I doing it is a major difference. See, God himself is to be supremely treasured, and God himself can actually deliver. It is right and good to esteem God as the thing most worthy to be treasured. Everything else that gets thrust to the sinner Everything else that's grabbing your attention, everything else that is saying, look at me, come to me, worship me, be, be, uh, be infatuated with me, will not deliver. So we see here right in the beginning of the Bible, God is laying a foundation that was true then, it's true now, it will be true in eternity, that God is working for his glory and he sets him up as this supreme being in which satisfaction alone can be found. God is good because he values the right thing himself. 
And God is good because he's committed to, es- uh, to esteeming that good thing himself. You see, so in, in this creation story, we've got, we've got God who creates, who acts for his glory, to, to display his glory. And we've got a God who finds the light in that glory. But then truth number three is this. God has created man to participate in both the displaying and in the enjoying of his glory. Say it one more time. God has created man to participate in both the displaying and the enjoying of his glory. We see this in verse 26 and 27. He tells us that God created man in his image. An image is designed. The definition of an image is to image forth. Right? When I, if I made a statue of uh, myself, right? If I, we made a statue of somebody famous, we, we'd give them the same, some of the features. We'd, we would put it before you, and we would hope that when you looked at it, you learned something about, or you were reminded of, or your attention was drawn to the truth about that person, right? The image is not that person, but the image points us to. It displays something about that person. God says here, I've created man, and his role, his job, is to image forth my glory, it's to, it's to display, it's to put forth my character and to fill the earth with it. That's mine and yours purpose. Not only does he create us to display it, but he creates us to enjoy it. So in, in Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, the Bible tells us that God ceased from his work. He rested. Well, what kind of ceasing was that? God was not tired, Right? The God of the universe was not tired. It doesn't mean that he stopped doing anything. We're told in other passages that God upholds the universe with the power of his word, right? If he was to cease to act, the creation would just fall in on itself and be nothing, right? But what we find here is, and again, we don't have time to just dig into all this terminology, and we're looking forward to be able to help you supplement that with the journal and some one-offs. But, but in short, what's going on here is that God is setting aside time. He's making this day holy. He's setting it apart to invite us into his rest, to stop and behold and see and look. It's a reminder that you and I are not God. It does not, we, our work does not hold, uphold everything, but that we are called to display and then to come around and enjoy and participate in the rest of God. We are called to behold and enjoy. We are called to turn our attention to and find this. Um, the New Study Catechism, which we've given to our, our, our families. I hope you take your kids through it. I hope you get the instructions and, and walk through it. But question number four is this. How and why did God create us? Listen to their answer. God created us male and female in his own image to know him, to love him, to live with him and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. You see, we see in this creation, we find what God is up to. He's, he's making known his name. He's, he's making uh, his glory known and seen. And that is in line with, and it goes with, our delight, our joy. Because he is good. God is acting for his glory. And he delights in his glory. And he invites us to both participate in the work. And he invites us to participate in the joy. There are a couple of implications that I want to that I want to give to you, right? So we we have uh, here the the standard of right and wrong, what is good and not good is laid right here in Genesis one. There there is a lot. We live in this world that is broken, 
You live in this world that is politically charged. You live in this world where there's pain and suffering. You live in this, this world where you get phone calls and you're faced with decisions that you have to make. How do I know what is right and wrong? Everybody is throwing around moral standards. How do I make my way through here? Should I, should I drink? Should I not drink? Right? Should, should, I, should, should I remarry or should I not remarry? Should, should, I, should, should I watch this or should I not watch this? Right? Is it okay for me not to go to church on Sunday every once in a while just because I'm tired and my, I need another hour of sleep? Right? So you guys are making decisions all the time. The question is, are you making decisions based off the standard of good and what is right? right? Or are you operating off of a standard that you have put there and chosen for yourself? And God has laid the standard here. The standard is that his glory would go forth through our action and that his glory would be enjoyed by his people. That's the standard. And so I'm going to give you three implications of this. Number one, a right action is determined by whether or not God's character is displayed. An action, a right action is determined by whether or not God's character is displayed. I'm going to, I'm going to, give, you, I'm going to give you three ways in which our actions display the glory of God, because it looks different, right? And I'm going to do it quickly, and, and it's not going to be sufficient, I promise that, but I'm going to do my best. Number one, we, we, we take actions that glorify God as, because sometimes we act as God acts, right? God says that he is kind, and sometimes we go and we are kind to others, right? God says, I never lie, and we go tell the truth even when it's hard, right? You, you with me? Right? Sometimes we glorify God. God's character goes on display simply by acting like he would act in this world. Now, you may have been familiar with the, the bracelets. I'm not a big fan of the whole movement, but the bracelets, when I was really young, I had one, uh, and it was, what would Jesus do, right? I'm trying to display the character of God just simply through my acting. Would, would, would Jesus right, take that $5 bill I found on the side of the road that I watched the person in front of me drop and give it back to them, or would he just put it in his pocket, Right? And so one of the ways that we image forth the glory of God is we act like him in this world. The second way that we uh, display the glory of God through acting is we act according to his design. We act according to his design. I, I don't know about you, but I've, uh, I, I've only made one trip to Ikea. Maybe you've been to Ikea, okay? Yes, some, some people just gave me ugly faces. Those are the ugly faces I had. And you would have seen it if I didn't have a mask on the whole entire time, right? So we went to Ikea, we bought this dresser for our girls' room, we brought it back, and it had like 386 parts, right? And it doesn't really have any instructions, right? And so I told my wife it was probably best that she just do it and not me, all right? So just let you, let you do it, right? But there is, there is this thing, it, the, 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 the actions, the accumulated action of following the design that the designer had created and given instruction for resulted in the, in the beauty and the function of the dresser. Are you with me? Right? If my wife along the line said, you know what, I really, don't want, I really don't think that bigger piece should go on the end, right? I think it needs to go on top. Or I think that drawer really should go enter from the back rather than from the front, right? The function, the design would be lost, right? But when the instructions are followed, guess what I get to do? I get to go back and the dude who made those instructions and the guy who set up that, that, that dresser, he's a wise guy, right? You with me? 
There is, there is something gained through my following the instructions and following the design that displays the goodness of the designer. I, I want to give you just an example in our world, right? And I, it, my heart is sad and my heart is broken because there's such an, ex, there's such an awesome opportunity for the church. Right? The world should be able to look at us and go, hey, your views of sexuality, your views of women and men, your views of the family... Right? They fall short of the glory of God. Look at the church who's doing it according to his design and look at the fruit it's producing. You see, we, we, we display the wisdom of God by following his design and reaping the fruit on the other side. My, uh, my, one of my mentors, I went to uh, uh, one of the pastors that I used to work with and uh, I asked him, he's, he's, a, he's much older than I am, right? And I got to watch him very closely over the course of the last uh, six years or so. And I began, to, I began to notice that in his life, there was good fruit. There's things that I wanted to be true about me 25 years from now that I saw in him, right? The, the way his children um, follow after God, the, the relationship he has with his wife, I longed for it. I want that. I saw the fruit of what he has been doing in his life and in his home. He is not perfect by any means, right? But I've seen a man who, who walks according to God's design in his relationship with his wife and in the relationship with his kids. I've watched him try to pattern his life after the instructions and the design of God, and he is reaping the fruit as a man in his 50s. And so I went to him and I said, hey, I want you to, I want you to teach me that wisdom. I want you to help me to, to walk in the instruction of God as you have done. Because I want the fruit that there. There's wisdom in the way that you have walked. And the way that you have walked is according to this book. And I need you to help me to walk according to God's word so that I might reap the, the wise effects of God's righteousness. You see, we display the glory of God by walking according to his design, and that design producing a thing that is praiseworthy and that is wise. Number three, the way that we display the glory of God is by cherishing him above all else. We cherish him above all else. Paul says something really weird in Philippians chapter one. He says, I hope to, I hope to glorify God both in my life and in my death. How do I glorify God? How do I display the glory of God in my death? Paul goes on to tell us the way that it is, is that I let go of this entire world and all that it has and all the satisfaction it offers and all the good things that are here, and I let go of it to hold to Christ with joy. Paul says, let me die well as I cling to him and not as one who's sorrowful because I've lost such great things, but as one who is joyful because whom I've gotten far surpasses everything that I had before. It looks like this for, for, for uh, maybe us men, or I, I remember dealing with college students and, and high school students, young people. What if our testimony is that the way that we remain sexually pure, the reason that we can overcome the temptation to look at pornography or to watch these movies that don't have anything but trash in them, what if the reason that we can overcome them is not because we have a, 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 porno, a pornography detector on our television or because my friend's going to get an email? Those are good things, right? If you need that, do that. But what testimony would it be to tell our friends, hey, hey, when that... that 
that email comes to my phone or that text message of pictures I should not be seeing, what if I can turn it away because I have already been satisfied by God? There is something that satisfies that is way better than that. You know how I can say no to, to drugs, to alcohol. You know how I can say no to this or that. You know how I can, I can tell the truth even when it hurts. Because whatever I am standing to lose by doing the right thing is not worthy to be compared to Christ. You see, we show the worth of God when obedience to God costs us and we walk on not murmuring and complaining, but with joy. We glorify God by by acting as he acts in this world. We glorify God by cooperating according to his design and, and praising him for the benefits. And we glorify God by clinging to him and cherishing him and finding our joy in him, even to the, re, even to the rejection of other things that may bring us temporary pleasure. Are we glorifying God? Implication number two. Right? The glory of God determines a right action. Number two, an action cannot display the glory of God unless it includes a heart that desires and delights in the glory of God. An action cannot display the glory of God unless it includes a heart that desires and delights in the glory of God. For the sake of, for the sake of time, I'm going to just read a couple of these. So my, my slide guy, I'm going to skip to the third one. Matthew 15, verse 80 says this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I would say praising God is good, right? Coming into this room and, and lifting God up with our voices is a good thing. Attending church and professing him as our Lord and Savior, that is our good things. The Bible instructs us to praise God, right? All people, lift your voices up. But you need to understand, I would, not, I, would be, I would be fooling you. I would be doing you a disservice to stand up here and say that's all that matters, is that you do the right thing. You see, in Scripture, the Bible tells me that God does not look just on the outward appearance, but that God looks on the heart, and we have totally misused that. Let me tell you what I mean. We've used that to bring us comfort. God doesn't look on the outside. God looks on the heart, and that brings me, that's supposed to bring me comfort in this culture. That was supposed to scare the mess out of people. Because you can dress up the outside, but the heart that cherishes something other than God is seen by him, it's plain to him, and he rejects the right work when it is not matched with a right heart. And that right heart is that we join God in delighting in his glory that we join him in seeing and beholding, that he becomes our satisfaction. I'm going to give you one more verse. Philippians 3, 17 through 19. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You need to understand that who he's talking about were people who led in the church. People who did the right actions. The people Paul was writing to saw them as good Christians and they were torn between 
following Paul and following these guys. And Paul drills down to the heart of the matter and he says, don't imitate them, imitate us. Because you need to understand that even though that they operate correctly, even though they're mixed in with the people of God, even though by the basis of their right action, they are esteemed among you, you need to understand something. Their minds are set on these worldly things and their God is their belly. It means that they have this insatiable uh, desire to be satisfied by the things of this world and their right conduct is just a means to get what they want. God says, I will not have it. I will not have it. A right action, a good, right, in the presence of God action requires not only that it be morally good, but that it be motivated by joy and delight in the glory of God. Implication number three. You and I are all guilty. You and I are all guilty. I don't mean guilty just in the past, right? I don't mean guilty in the sense that, hey, I, I used to act like this. I used to have a, a, a desire for this world, but now, but now things are different. The matter of the fact is that the fall has come, sin has entered this world, and Galatians chapter 5 tells me that there is a raging war within me, one of the flesh against the spirit. There is, a, there is a part of me that longs and craves and desires satisfaction in this world, and it always and constantly is raging war against the new spirit and the new life in me that seeks and desires and craves for the glory of God. And so the effect is what you and I live. It's our reality, right? I walk into this room and I can sing what I sung just a minute ago, God, you are my everything, Right? God, you are the one to be desired. God, you are my joy. You are my passion. And yet I can sing that same thing. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've been there in the past. I guarantee you'll be there in the future. But the words that you sing are not the reality of your heart. Oh, you are my joy, but God, if I'm honest, my joy is absent. God, I love you, but yet I, I don't, I'm not drawn to you today. That's where we live. And so all of us stand here, right? We all stand here before God going, my, my desire and my joy in you is not what it should be. We're guilty on the right conduct piece, right? We stand before God. If God's standard is to act for the display of his glory and to delight in that glory, me and you stand here, we are imperfect and we are guilty before God. And that prepares us for being able to start to see and behold his glory because his glory is on display in Christ. You see, there is one who came and he sought and he desired and he enjoyed and he pursued the glory of God without fail. His name was Jesus. And he went to the cross and did exactly what he was supposed to do. He fulfilled all of the right conduct. He pursued the glory of God. He enjoyed the glory of God. His heart was divided even though he was tempted as we are tempted, his heart was never torn this way or that way. He stayed steadfast for the joy that was before him. He endured the mission from which he was called, and he did it for you and I. And so praise be to God that I can walk into a room like this, 
and I can sing those words that I wish were true about me all the time. And I can go, I don't have to fear him. Because when I stand before you and sing about your glory, I don't stand here on my own merit. I stand here behind the perfect, completed work of Christ. The implication of this standard is that you and I cannot meet it. We are guilty before God, and our only hope is in this gospel. This one who has come, and he is restoring things back. And one day, we get to the end, Revelation 21 and 22, God will descend and dwell with his people. The, the fountain of life and joy will spring forth, and we will come, and we will drink, and we will be satisfied. But until then, right? Until then, we're going to pray. Until then, we're going to seek God's face. Until then, we're going to get up and commit ourselves to walking according to his design and according to his word. We're committed to seeing his glory displayed, all while asking God to give us a joy and a love and a desire for him. I'm going to close by just inviting you to pray um, with me. I'm going to give you a couple things to pray right at, your, right at your seat while the Micah and them kind of come back forward. But I want you to pray a couple of things with me. Number one, I want you to thank God. What I mean by that is this. All my obedience is, is imperfect. I am amazed that God will take my imperfect most of the time half-hearted, much of the time distracted, ill-motivated, and yet from my imperfect obedience, he still is gracious enough to bring about something good. And so I thank God, I say thank you for your grace that I can, as an imperfect father, stained by sin in my efforts, and yet be confident and be hopeful that God will take my instruction and that he will, he will raise up daughters that love him and obey him. Because, dear God, if it's on me, we're in trouble. So I bow before God and say, thank you, God, for you take our efforts that are imperfect and you bring something good from them. Then the second thing I want you to pray is that God would give us a heart full of the knowledge and love of the glory of God. I'm reminded of Ephesians where Paul says, I pray for you and I pray that your, your knowledge and your love for God will be full. That God would open your eyes and your heart. Man, if you're here today and you, you sing songs like we've sung and, and you go, man, my heart is not there. The words of my lips do not match the condition of my heart. The gospel gives us good news, and we don't have to walk out of here going, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm cast away. The gospel says I can draw near to God, and I can cry out to him and say, God, if my satisfaction is dependent upon the things of this earth, I am, I am doomed. Satisfaction will never come. And so, God, please, please align my heart. Touch my soul so that I crave you. Give me a capacity to see and behold and enjoy your glory. 
I'm going to let you pray for just a minute by yourself. Those two things. Thank God and ask God. And then they're going to lead us in a psalm before we leave.